Happy Wednesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Into the Night Minute, a show where every week teams of Movies by Minutes podcasters get together and talk about a very little known but uh, still popular and funny uh, John Landis comedy, the 1985 film Into the Night. I am currently your only host, Jim O'Kane, of the Apollo 13 Minute, the Airport Minute, uh, the uh, 007 Minute, and the Rocketeer Minute. We've been having uh, guests on, uh, and we will have guests on later this week, but I thought I'd just talk with you alone um, about some thoughts that I've had about the series as we've been doing it. I really appreciate all the other hosts that have been on giving their own uh, spin on movie they may have seen before or may have never seen before. And uh, it's been fascinating. Uh, unlike the other hosts, as the producer of the show, I've had a chance to hear everybody's uh, thoughts on the show as I've been inserting them into the, uh, into the series. So uh, I've been getting quite a great perspective of the movie as we've been talking about it all these many weeks. Uh, today's episode, uh, Minute uh, 93, is part of the same uh, scene that we've been going on and we will go on through for the rest of the week where Shaheen and uh, Ed Oaken are talking about the plan for getting the remaining three emeralds. Uh, Shaheen is talking about everything that's wrong with the idea and Ed is trying to sell her on everything that's right with the idea in getting money and letting uh, Ed and Diana go their merry way while Shaheen gets to pick up the emeralds at un some unspecified location. And that's all fascinating, but I think I I'd like to take a step back and get a little bit bigger picture on this whole film after, after hearing so many different uh, views on the film. Um, this is, of course, a regular expository scene that we're, we're being told what the plan is. Uh, so in in movie terms, uh, there's always three parts of a, of, of a typical narrative strategy where the first part is exposition, which is what we're in. Uh, the next part is complication, which is where the plan goes wrong or the plan goes not to the way uh, they were expecting it to go. And then resolution, where that new change to the plan um, plays out. Now, narrative strategies are you know, pretty much the bread and butter of John Landis's movies. He has to figure out how to tell a story in an entertaining way, but still get the uh, the plot across so that you have something to follow and, and characters that you care about and uh, characters that you want to see win. We've been rooting for Ed Oaken through the entire film. He's finally come up against his big baddie, which is uh, Shaheen. And uh, we know that she's the worst one because there's so many people that have been murdered in her name just to get these emeralds. Uh, Landis is coming from a long tradition of a, of a very classic style of storytelling. It's very linear. It uh, introduces uh, different characters along the way. They kind of act as road signs and you know, oracles of what's, what's going to happen next. And uh, Shaheen is pretty much setting us up for what could go wrong and what might go wrong in the next uh, scenes. And this goes you know, way back to the way Greek theater worked with, uh, with Greek choruses and uh, how we like being told what the move, what's happening in the movie, uh, at least the audience that this is aimed at, which is not, it, it's, this is not meant to be an alternate way of telling a story. So we are all very familiar with it. This is very TV movie quality, very, uh, you know, as I said, linear. It takes us from point A to point B to point C, and we can see what's going to be coming up in the next 10 minutes based on this discussion that uh, Ed and Shaheen are having. So we just have, we, and we as 
you know, veteran audiences know things are going to go bad. So that's part of the anticipation. Uh, one of the things that we always talk about in Movies by Minutes is the idea of art versus a business. And this is art. Uh, you know, Landis has a, has a uh, great method of telling stories that you, you get drawn into the picture, you, you see a master scene, and you get pulled into the individuals that are in that scene. And this is art, but also remembering that John Landis is primarily working for a business. This is, um, well, it, the example in, uh, in Hollywood is always the uh, logo for uh, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer is a lion, and surrounding him are the words, Aris Gratia Aris, which means art for the sake of art, to which uh, the author Robert Benchley said it more reasonably could be said to be Aris Gratia Pecunia, which is art for the sake of money. And Landis knows this. He's, I mean, Landis had just finished the movie Trading Places, and that was a very successful movie for him. So he was looking for another story that he could tell that would make him money. And uh, Ron Coslow's script, as uh, Landis describes in the uh, the bonus section of the, the Blu-ray version of this film, uh, Ron Coslow's script stood out to him and had good bones, it had a nice a nice structure, uh, compelling characters like uh, you know Ed, a guy that is he starts out the movie being exhausted and nearly asleep, and in that kind of, for lack of a better term, twilight zone of reality, uh, and he, he has this likable character in Diana who is. Uh, you know she's a bit of a scamp, but she she's lovable, and you you root for her during the film. So it you know the, the structure of it is very classic Hollywood, very uh, very doable in the especially in the studio system, uh, not not the not the classic movie uh, studio system, but the the one that had developed in the eighties. This is something that an established director could make with a yeah a pretty formulaic script uh, with a novel pinch of having a sleepiness as being a, a part of the story. Uh, and unfortunately, even though it was made for a budget of about $8 million, it didn't make a lot of money uh, for him, and it's considered a failure. Um, and Landis describes being uh, understanding it as a failure that even though it didn't get good critical reviews and didn't make a lot of money, he's, uh, his rationalization for it is the, that uh, not every movie that is a critical success or a financial success could be considered a bad movie, and this, I, I would agree with him in that this is a, uh, you know, this is, this is a movie that when people see it, it has kind of a cult status among some viewers, and it does have rewatchability, at least to me. I, I've noticed that you can you can turn it on, watch it, and uh, and you know come back to it in six months, and and you'll still like it six months later. Now, when we look at film. Uh, film is an interesting part of art because unlike a lot of other art, you know, when you look at classical art and things like that, you can guess on primary sources, you know, what influences people, what uh, what caused uh, an artist to make something a certain way. And there really isn't much of a record because that may have happened hundreds or thousands of years ago. But with uh, with movies, for the most part, especially recent movies, there's a huge paper trail or a, or a cinematic trail of where people wind up uh, you know, how, how a movie came to be. And, uh, you know, fortunately with uh, modern technology, you can watch things like uh, bonus features on, on Blu-rays or uh, director's commentaries and things like that. So they do leave a lot of, you know, self-described uh, histories of, of what happened and how, how a movie 
uh, occurred. Landis himself uh, takes the movie apart uh, in the bonus features for the Blu-ray and describes that the biggest issue was trying to find casting. He originally wanted Jack Nicholson, and he originally wanted Jamie Lee Curtis, who he had just directed in uh, Trading Places, uh, to do this movie. Jack Nicholson didn't want to be part of the movie because he said the character doesn't solve his problem. Ed does not. Ed is not the source. He's not the hero. He doesn't resolve his problem in the movie. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis uh, left for a different reason. She t- she turned down Landis because she was going to be in the John Travolta movie Perfect, and they were they were offering her a lot more money for the movie Perfect than she could have ever gotten from uh, Universal for making uh, Into the Night. So you know, thanks thanks to that, we wound up with two relative well extreme newcomers. These were their first uh, above the title roles, Jeff Goldblum and, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Picking them out made this an un- you know they they were unusual picks. And kind of luck of the draw that that these two people, it would be you know it would be Jeff Goldblum and uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer instead of, uh, I mean I can't even picture what it would be like with Jack Nicholson and Jamie Lee Curtis or the second choice that he had was Gene Hackman and Jamie Lee Curtis. I think the age is there. Having an older Ed Oaken, I don't think would have worked as well. Uh, I can't see Jack Nicholson. Uh, being, you know, second banana to Richard Farnsworth in his scenes. It just, it wouldn't make sense. So I think, you know, yeah, winding up with, or settling for, as Landis did, with uh, with Goldblum uh, really changed the whole uh, dynamic of the picture. But, you know, the, the casting really made a difference as to who the, ma- the, the mains being in it. Uh, looking at the bigger picture, I've been talking about the bigger picture through, through most of this uh, particular minute, um, since we have this history that we can trace, it's kind of weird that we're watching the history of L.A. in this movie. We talk about um, a lot of the other hosts have talked about the weird confluence of um, horror, for lack of a better word, or, you know, extreme violence, the action violence, which is a you know horrifying idea. That overlay of horror and um, and comedy, it, it's peculiar, and that that's been going on. People have been worried about. Um, how this is uh, 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 this overlap that it, it somehow makes violence funny that uh, people have been worried about this since I mean it's almost a hundred years now but back in uh, back in 1934 there was a there was a committee on um, uh, educational research the uh, C O E R committee on educational research and it was a uh, it was a massive study by a bunch of sociologists, psychologists, um, anthropologists, and a bunch of other medical doctors looking at, in 12 volumes, the effect of movies on audiences. And, uh, and they came out with this, uh, this large, you know, it, it's like a library of books based on uh, how movies affected children, how it affected delinquency rates, how it affected crime rates even how it affected sleep patterns. And, you know, this constant worry that's been going on for, you know, 80 years at least, of, of how do movies affect people? Do, are movies um, affecting people in society? And when you watch this movie, you're watching this weird thing where um, people, you know, a, a, an elevator door opens and there's a door, dog barking and two guys shoot the dog. And that's actually couched as a laugh line. That's, that's a place where you're supposed to be laughing. 
or uh, a woman running for her life while she's being chased by four guys who plan on drowning her. That's done, uh, even as Landis described it, as a, as a slaps the Keekstone cops moment. Um, it's all this uh, weird overlap of laughing and screaming that uh, nobody can really resolve. And people have been looking at this thing for 80 years, uh, trying to make it count for something. But it doesn't, as, as far as people can tell in, in research, it, you know, it's, it's similar to violence in video games. Seeing uh, mainstream violence and comedy on top of each other doesn't seem to affect audiences. It just, it, except that we react to it with horror, thinking this is not funny. Why am I, why am I laughing at this? And this movie seems to do that over and over and over again. It gets into the same routine of you're seeing uh, horrible violence. I mean, you're seeing several murders in here. And you're seeing people, you know, running for their lives, but it's still being handed to you as a, as a comedy. And that is, you know, it's, it's kind of like Landis' style. I mean, we see that in the Blues Brothers. We see that in, in Trading's Places. Um, and, you know, even places like, you know, looking at, looking at um, Landis' thriller video, you're seeing horror uh, being something you can laugh at while you're, wa- you know, while you're watching it. So this movie does do that and i think from what i've heard of most of the hosts watching these things the humor kind of falls flat it doesn't it doesn't overlay uh this action horror i mean you're seeing people getting killed pretty uh pretty violently um it's not like the uh, uh in the 2010s we have the uh the marvel comics you know the marvel cinematic universe where people get killed bloodlessly you don't see anybody uh you know they're they're mostly just you know cutting people up like cutting machines up and you don't see any blood you don't you see people getting knocked down and getting back up like cartoon characters which you know they pretty much are but in this movie there's some pretty uh difficult and and uh violent deaths but it's still being treated as uh as comedy so we get we get a little bit uh upset with that um i don't know I don't know if I, I every time I watch this movie, it, you have to look at it through the lens of this is Landis just after Twilight Zone, and Landis after Twilight Zone, he was he was defending himself for uh, you know a horrible accident that happened on the set of a movie that he was filming, and that he was you know on criminal charges for uh, for negligence and. You know, the deaths of the deaths of several people, uh, you know, under his watch, uh, he was acquitted of it. But I, in watching all these things, as many other hosts have said, I keep wondering: Is this part of some kind of catharsis for him? Is he trying to purge himself of what he saw that night? What you know, what he experienced that night? Is is this some way of saying it's violence, but? Uh, Violence is somehow necessary in his telling a story. I, you know, I, I don't understand an answer or an excuse for how this movie gets put together. I still, I, I do enjoy the movie, but I just don't quite understand uh, the level of violence that he's expecting as, uh, as funny, and not in, not in a cartoon funny business. This is, uh, uh, as Robert explained yesterday, uh, things like the death of, uh, of Christie. Catherine Harold in this movie, you are the person being murdered. It's a POV shot underwater as as she's being held down by four men, and that's somehow 
part of a comedy. It's it's peculiar. Um, anyway, those those are just some thoughts that I've had in in listening with other people talking on this. I know it's a little bit scatterbrain scatterbrain and scattershot, but I'm just getting back and talking about about movies after a, a kind of a hiatus with uh, with getting back to the microphones. But I I have been enjoying everybody's uh, own takes on this film. Um, I've loved this film for 30 years plus, and uh, I didn't know why. I never really examined it. But now in in this format, this movies by minutes format, hearing other people taking it apart and finding the the flaws and finding things to like about the movie, I, I'm glad that we've all been part of this project. And uh, we still got some minutes to go, so so hang in here for the next couple of weeks as we uh, as we wrap up this film with some other folks. Uh, if you'd like to talk back with us, if you have your own thoughts on this film, I would love to hear from you on our social media. We're available, of course, on Twitter at Night Minute. We are also available on Facebook at The King Lives Listener's Limo. Uh, that's, that's right out there. Just You can find that on Facebook quite easily. Love to hear from your, you on your thoughts of seeing this movie. If you haven't seen the movie, I, I wonder why you're listening to the show, but uh, if you haven't seen the movie, please watch it and let, let me know how, uh, how you thought of it. We, I think we'd all like to hear what initial thoughts there are when you when you first see this film um, if you would like to catch up on previous episodes of course it's always available back there on uh, the big site nightminute.com and we are now as always available on the uh, podcast distributors like uh, apple podcasts formerly itunes and uh, google play and spotify so go out there check you know check subscribe on, uh, on the night minute and we would be happy to for you to listen to us uh, every day, hot and fresh, Monday through Friday. Uh, but please join us here tomorrow. We have uh, another uh, fellow host of mine coming on board to chat about his thoughts on L.A. and uh, this movie. So we'll see you here next time on the Into the Night Minute. Do we thank you or what? I'd say I fall in the or what category. 